Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, my dear brothers and sisters, fellow saints of God. There aren't a whole lot of win-win-win situations in life. It seems like in almost every instance, at least one person gets a raw deal. At least one person draws the short end of the stick. So who on our gospel account draws the short end of the stick? Well, it's certainly not Mary and Martha. Yes, they had to endure much pain and hardship as they cared for their dying brother. And once he finally did die, they had to endure four tear-soaked days as they questioned why Jesus had done nothing to heal their brother. But then Jesus did come, and Jesus did raise their brother back to life, and the pair was once again reunited with their no longer dead brother. Mary and Martha, they were definitely winners in this situation. How about Jesus? Some take a look at his mourning and weeping and the fact that he's deeply moved and troubled, and they suppose that it took Jesus some great physical exertion to perform this miracle. But our account shows no signs that it took a physical exertion for Jesus to raise Lazarus from the dead. Jesus performed this miracle as he performed all his miracles with ease. He's God, the same God who created the entire universe with just his words. It didn't take Jesus some physical exertion to raise Lazarus. Jesus, he didn't draw the short end of the stick. And that crowd gathered around at the tomb. They got to saw the amazing power of God. They got their friend back from the dead. They were winners. You and me gathered this morning some 2,000 years later. We get to see the power of God in an amazing text. We're not losers. We're winners. We didn't draw the short end of the stick. So then who did draw the short end of the stick in this morning's account? I think that the answer is pretty clear. It's Lazarus, isn't it? Think about it. Lazarus lives this life in a world tainted by sin, a hard life. He gets some sort of fatal disease. Especially at this time in history, there's not many lethal diseases that were painless. We can kind of assume he was suffering, but eventually his suffering came to an end. He got to go to heaven. There he enjoyed that amazing feast, that feast we heard about in Isaiah 25. That feast where there's no sadness or pain, the joy never stops, the praises of God never cease. And then it happened. What might have seemed kind of like a tragedy took place. Lazarus heard those words. Lazarus, come out. And that never-ending banquet came to an end. And that amazing, painless existence turned back into Lazarus once again inhabiting an earthbound body that lived in a world tainted by sin. Might have seemed like there was a mistake. What a buzzkill, right? We don't have Lazarus' words recorded for us. We don't know how he reacted to Jesus, but I know how I might have reacted. Publicly, it's going to be all smiles and lots of thank yous, right? But once you finally get alone with Jesus... Hey man, what was that? I was really starting to enjoy myself up there. Kind of a jerk move, Jesus. Okay, perhaps I'm being much too tongue-in-cheek. This is an amazing account, an amazing miracle recorded for us by our Savior. 
But we can kind of relate to Lazarus, right? He was living in this world of pain and sorrow. He finally got the joy of victory, life in heaven forever. And then he returned once again to inhabit an earthly body. It seems like Lazarus might have drawn the short end of the stick. We're thankful that John records this account of what seems like Lazarus drawing the short end of the stick. But we see how Jesus loves his saints, those who trust in him as their savior. See how your savior loves his saints militant, those of us fighting the battle today. And see how Jesus loves his saints triumphant, those who are resting from their labors in the joy of heaven. Our whole account really revolves around one, word, one question. Why didn't Jesus heal Lazarus? Mary, Martha, this crowd, they knew it wasn't some lack of power. This, is, this account takes place about three months before Holy Week. This crowd, Mary, Martha, they've witnessed about three years of Jesus' ministry. Uh, they've seen him make paralyzed people walk and blind people see. They've seen the dead daughter of Jairus come back to life. And yet in this instance, Jesus lets Lazarus die. As we go through this account, we, we see how these people, they, they struggle. They struggle to, to comprehend these two seemingly incompatible facts. That Jesus can heal every sickness and disease. And yet Jesus lets Lazarus die. Even once Jesus does show up on the scene, we still see these people struggling. They understand, they, they appreciate Jesus coming to empathize with them. When they see his tears in their mourning, they say, see how he loved him. But they also recognize that Jesus is the reason that they're mourning in the first place. Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Don't we have essentially the same question and the same struggle today? We know that God can heal all sickness and disease. God can take away COVID. God can fix our global economy. God can fix a fallen and corrupt world. God can heal your dying loved one. God can mend our broken and fractured relationships. And yet, so often we see a world in which there still is disease and death. We see a world that still seems to be crumbling apart the seams. We still experience sorrow and heartache and loneliness. Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? How do we understand this? How do we rationalize those facts that God can heal and yet so often he does not? I think it's important to lay the groundwork for this conversation. Jesus isn't happy. It doesn't give him joy that we are suffering. Check out Jesus' powerful emotions in this account. He is deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Jesus wept. Later on, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. And Jesus... He even knows how the account is going to end. He knows that he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He knows that joy is going to bring to Mary and Martha. And yet he is still there, deeply and emotionally empathizing with these people in their earthly struggles. Jesus, he is intimately and emotionally involved in our lives today. 
We hear earlier in John that Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Jesus experienced the mental exhaustion and emotional heartbreak and physical affliction that we face today. Jesus, he joined the saints militant. He joined us in our struggle in a sin-fallen world, in a world that has been completely corrupted and tainted by sin. But Jesus... He had a plan when he allowed Lazarus to die. And not one of our quickly cobbled together on-the-fly plans, but an eternal plan. An eternal plan for those he loves. Even before Jesus arrived in Bethany, he explained this plan to his disciples. Lazarus is now dead, and for your sake I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe. Jesus willingly and purposefully let Lazarus die. Why? Once again, Jesus explained his plan, this time at the tomb in front of the whole crowd. He prayed, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. Jesus' plan was this. Allow Lazarus to die so that people would place their trust in him. And that's the same plan that remains today. God wants us to place our trust in him and in him alone. That plan that Jesus had, it didn't stop when he raised Lazarus from the dead. Some three short months later, Jesus traveled two short miles past the town of Bethany to the city of Jerusalem. There he was betrayed by one of his closest friends, handed over to his enemies. He was brutally beaten, flogged, crucified on a cross like a criminal. He was forsaken by his father, something that no saint's militant has ever had to experience because Jesus experienced it for us. Jesus died on that cross to take away the sins of sinners. As we continue to to fight in our battle today, we trust in the same Lord and Savior that Mary and Martha trusted in. A Savior who comes and empathizes with our problems. A Savior who's got a plan, an eternal plan. Because that plan didn't end with Jesus dying and being buried in a tomb. But, But three days later, on Easter morning, we see a tomb with a stone rolled away. There's not a lifeless body inside, but... Nothing is inside. Jesus has risen. Jesus is risen victorious. Our sins are forgiven. Now when God looks at us, he sees perfect saints. Now, because Jesus has risen from the grave, we too will rise from our graves. We will go and enjoy the glories of God. We call those believers who are still fighting in the battle in this sin-filled world the saints militant. We call those believers who are resting from their labors the saints triumphant. In Roman times, a victorious military general would throw what they called a triumph. A triumph was essentially a large parade that celebrated a victorious military general who had conquered lots of territory. They would get paraded throughout the city to cheers from everyone. They were triumphant in battle. Those believers who trust in Christ and have fallen asleep, they are victorious and triumphant. 
And not because of their military might, not, not because they were strong enough, or not because they believed enough, not because they were good enough, but because they trusted in a Savior who came and lived and died and was raised back to life for them. Now they get the reward prepared for them by their Savior. What's that reward that Jesus has prepared for the saints triumphant? We kind of understand that reward. Jesus helps us in his words to Martha at the tomb of Lazarus. He told Martha, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? That word glory, it was an important word for the Jews. The glory of God proved that he was the one true only God. Read back the account of Second Chronicles 7 as we see the glory of the Lord filling the temple of Solomon. Return to the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew 17 as we see the glory of our Savior. The raising of Lazarus, it was powerful and glorious. But Jesus, raising himself from the dead, that displayed an even greater glory. The glory of God which has defeated evil forever. Satan is crushed. Death is defeated. Sin is slain. Now because Jesus is glorious, we too will see that amazing glory. That is our reward. John got a glimpse of that glory in Revelation. In Revelation 21, we see as John writes, the city does not need a sun or the moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. This glory brings no fear, but only comfort. It brings no troubles, but the warmth of God's grace. See how your Savior loves his saints triumphant and prepares the most glorious place for them. It might have seemed like Lazarus drew the short end of the stick, he was living as a saint's militant. He got to go and experience what it was like to be a saint triumphant, only to return once more to being a saint militant. But we see how Jesus loves his saints militant, those of us who are fighting the battle today. And we see how Jesus loves his saints triumphant. Jesus is with us in our struggle, and he's prepared the most glorious place for us in heaven, where we will live out all of our days. We confess with the writer of our hymn of the day, J.G. Abinas, who wrote, When this body here has perished, then will heavenly joys be cherished, where the saints in glorious dress live and reign in righteousness. Amen. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Please rise. As